Everybody, welcome back for another week of the 3 Plus 1 Podcast, where this week's co-host is the one and only Tracy Bonner. What's up, everybody? Tracy, welcome back. It is great to have you as we go through some transition here at the 3 Plus 1 Podcast. I'm super thankful that you're able to join us and be my co-host as we bring in our third person. Uh, Our guest this week is Leader for Diversity and Inclusion, Paris Prince. Paris, welcome to the 3 Plus 1 Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. And uh, since I'm in the South, I'll give a good warm hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. So, uh, Paris, we're going to talk about your work with diversity and inclusion. But um, with that, what do you feel is a message that you have for some of our Southern listeners? Many of our podcasts, we have we average about 600 listeners per week. And typically, many of those individuals are here in the South. What is a message that you have for our Southerners in regards to diversity and inclusion? Well, uh, what I'll say to everyone is that uh, there's work to be done uh, across all regions of our country and across the world uh, for people who are marginalized and oppressed historically and currently, and uh, that it's up to us to shine a light and illuminate the truth. Uh, I'm sure all of us are aware that the truth is under siege right now, mm-hmm. and that truth matters when it comes to people's experiences and the uh, day-to-day struggles that uh, people face because of who they are, because of their skin color, because of who they love, because of their gender identity, etc. What do you mean the truth is under siege? And Tracy, jump in when at any point. Well, I, I think unless someone's been uh, purposefully avoiding uh, the breaking news that's feverishly coming out, we know that there's a lot of narratives and counter-narratives that are difficult to sort out, you know, what's really happening in our world today. It can feel very chaotic and confusing. Who are uh, the good guys, the good people? Who are the bad people? You know, everyone kind of has a slant and an angle. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, someone could say that an act is biased or racist, and another person can say, well, this is reverse racist or bias. And it's, again, you know, where does the truth really lie? Uh, And we can quantify that, mm-hmm. you know, there's evidence uh, that we can uh, use to ascertain the truth. There's historical precedent and trend uh, as well. And so uh, it's up to us to be equipped with knowledge and to uh, really uh, be purveyors of the truth. Mm-hmm. Here in the South, there are a number, you know, in the South, President Donald Trump has some of the highest poll numbers uh, across the United States of America. Almost every elected official, every elected official in state government in this state of Georgia, where we record the podcast, is Republican led and owned. And many of those people, including our governor, are staunch supporters of our president. Do you feel that President Trump has eroded the truth for our nation? Well, President Trump has exposed a lot of fault lines that, uh, you know, I I guess some folks could view it as, you know, uh, this has been kind of building. Uh, you know, with Trump's administration and presidency in this term. But I I would argue that it's always kind of been here. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, in this state, we're we're in Georgia right now, uh, voter suppression has been, you know, a very, very, uh, very strongly pushed by Republican uh, political leaders to uh, suppress voters of color Mm -hmm. uh, with various measures to just keep people from the ballot box or, you know, discourage people from voting, make it more difficult. And uh, we now see, you know, the the national news outside of Georgia uh, from D.C. with our president 
attempting to meddle with the election Mm -hmm. again, (laughs) the future election for 2020. But essentially what we have here is a party, uh, a political party that disregards uh, the, the right to vote. Oh, period. And, and obviously that's no longer sacred. So I don't think it's just Donald Trump that has eroded our sacred, you know, institutions and also the the right to vote. You know, this has been something that's been in the works for a while and it's going to have a huge impact on our elections. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we need to be more mindful about where we seek our news and seek our truth. Uh, for example, you remember we were talking about the uh, judge that went down off the... Tammy yes. Count. Uh, Tammy yeah. Count. Yes. She, she stepped down to give the woman a hug and a Bible. And, you know, I was one of those people who was quick to say, man, you know, we shouldn't support her. And why would she do something like that? And then I watched her Tamron Hall interview and she explained that the woman was asking her about God. Where do I where do I learn about God? And she was like the Bible, and she was like, "Well, I don't have one." And she said, "Because has she? Well, I have. Yeah, one. has she read that Bible? She knows she's going straight to hell because <laughs> thou shalt not kill. <laughs> and she not and she killed. And she killed an innocent man who was in his house eating yes. ice cream. Tracy, but, I was, you know, but, I saw Tamron Hall too. Oh, but, you saw yeah, it too. I saw that same but, episode. But also with the bailiff, I was like, "Oh, you she don't. So hair, you don't. Yeah. You think she fixed her hair? That's what she Be- said. Yeah. That's well, what the judge said. Well, right? the judge said that that was a frisk. Uh, they couldn't take her oh, to the jail okay. to frisk her, so she was frisking. And after watching the video. A couple of times I was like, oh, it doesn't look like she was fixing her hair. She was putting her fingers through her yeah. hair to see, you know, if they had any weapons or contraband or anything. And that is protocol. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I appreciate, just, you know, I appreciate you for, because when I, I really, I, I watched the Tamron Hall interview. It was on in the background uh-huh, uh-huh. while I was doing some work. When I watched it, I, I have to say that not one opinion I have has changed about uh, Judge, what's her name? Kemp. Judge Kemp, mm-hmm. I have not changed one opinion about her. Who is I, up for re-election? Yeah, exactly. And she's years. been endorsed by the Dallas. Of course, police. she's been endorsed by the Dallas Police Force. You know, and I'm sure she's being endorsed by a number of well-funded. She's probably being well-funded by a number of uh, Texas Republicans, National Republicans. I felt no change, and I understand that it is an imper- a moral imperative mm-hmm. to spread the word for Christians across the United mm-hmm. States of America. But it's very hard for me to believe that Amber Geiger, murderer, convicted murderer, mm-hmm. has not been exposed to the Christian faith at this point in her life. Yes, it's really I, hard to believe. But God bless <laughs> Judge Kemp for putting a Bible in her hand, okay, and for being a bigger woman. And God bless. Uh, you know, everybody who's been willing to forgive and move forward. And I'm not saying that I'm not willing to forgive and move forward, but I do believe in due process and appropriate justice for yes. crimes that have been done. I was going to say that. She should have acted appropriately, in my opinion, which would have been, well, once you get in there, lady, go find you a Bible. Right. You know, yeah. and just stayed up there. The Gideons but, have given many Bibles yeah. out all yeah. around. So. I mean, the, the prison has a chaplain and they've got a ministry, I'm sure. As God's well, going to so. come to her. Yeah, so it wasn't appropriate. The sentence wasn't appropriate. Uh, some have argued that, you know, that's a, a jury selection, you know, in terms of the sentencing. Mm-hmm. But I think that that case uh, that we're discussing now from Dallas is yet another example of, you know, a national kind of cultural flashpoint that brings all of our attention and heightens it to, you know, the things that we see every day. 
mm-hmm. but maybe there aren't discussions. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we can look at that, that trial and what was televised and the photos that we saw, and we can clearly look and see that there is a difference between how perhaps someone who is black or brown may have been treated in that circumstance Absolutely. Uh, uh, as a defendant. But I and, also want to say, convicted murderer. we've yeah. got to stop going to the shade room for our, you know, for our news, for our truth, just to bring it back to. And that's the, that's the whole point, you know, of yeah. three of three plus one is yeah. that we do. Real, I do. I realize and educated that many of my students and, and, and uh, you know, former students go to places like Facebook, the Shade Room, mm-hmm. Media Takeout, TMZ for their news sources, mm-hmm. and they're not really getting real news exposure, real mm-hmm. news experience. The world is changing around them. Their lives are changing around them, and they're worried about Kim Kardashian. Mm-hmm. And that was really a big part of the focal point for why we created um, this podcast, you know, in the first place. And I think that's why Shepard Smith just stepped down at five. Yes, you and know, he, I, that's on today. That's on That's on our topic. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about Shepard. We're very interesting. Mississippian, yes. uh, homeboy from the state of Mississippi, Holly Springs, actually. Uh, Paris, why is diversity and inclusion, why is that your passion? Well, uh, given my life experience, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, I am uh, was born and raised on Chicago's South Side. South Side. That's right, South Side. <laughs> uh, one of the most segregated mm-hmm. cities in, in America. Uh, in the South Side, uh, where I'm from, uh, is predominantly African American. Um, you know, and having the experiences that I have with, you know, the mass incarceration that was happening at the time that I was coming of age, um, you know, the uh, problematic school systems, for example, CPS. where, you know, mm. CPS, Chicago mm. Public Schools, and I'm a graduate of CPS. Mm. I went to Kenwood Academy. Okay, Kenwood. Kenwood. Broncos. Okay. What you know about Kenwood? All my friends went to Kenwood. All the and, and I, I actually. And where yeah, did you meet these friends? Uh, at the Tennessee State University okay. in Nashville. But I also taught there too. Um, I Sweet. taught the August Wilson monologue competition there. So yeah, I have a very close do, connection. Do you know Liz Kirby? No, I don't. I know Bart Fitzpatrick. We'll talk yes, about that later. Yes, yes, that's my girl. But, Shout out to Bart. But uh, you know, having that life experience and you know having so many odds against me, so many barriers, so much to overcome, being uh, not only black but being half Latino, I'm mm-hmm. half Puerto Rican, um, and also queer, and have identified as such from a very young age, and was not closeted or down low. Um, you know, I just didn't fit in anywhere. So it actually developed a certain skill set for me to kind of be on the margins and kind of in between of identities and kind of uh, moderate, I guess, uh, differences. And so it became a skill set. It became something that, you know, I think enhanced my natural talents. And it's something that I love. It's something that, you know, I've, I've observed by just being myself, how we can break barriers. And, uh, you know, so often we have flashpoints, like I mentioned before, that really bring people out to point out and highlight injustice, inequitable treatment. And I thought to myself, like, to be part of change, to be part of this revolution, like, how can I participate in actually making a difference? And a career in diversity and inclusion uh, can be very impactful. Um, it can also be completely hogwash. <laughs> And, you know, creative marketing to uh, appear 
to be more fair uh, than an organization truly is. Um, that being said, uh, I'm very serious about this work, and uh, I'm a certified diversity professional, and I have an MBA in social change. I've studied long and hard and worked long and hard to really master the kind of scientific management techniques and what it takes to uh, create inclusive communities and organizations. So do you go into corporations and have like workshops and seminars on how to uh, encourage inclusion? Yeah, you know, the the educational opportunities are a big part of uh, DNI work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I've uh, worked with largely with higher education institutions. But the work that I really do is related to policy change, mm-hmm. related to uh, more systemic changes in terms of our uh, systems, in terms of how uh, performance is evaluated, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, hiring practices, uh, equity across uh, uh, pay, for example, uh, salary, etc. Um, even facilities, for example, uh, uh, more recently in the last few years, there's been a lot of changes around gender inclusivity with restrooms mm-hmm. and locker rooms. So facilities changes, or it may be for individuals who are differently abled or handicapped as well. So um, really digging into what is the experience like every day for people and thinking about how the institution is making decisions currently that negatively affect certain populations and how that can be mitigated. So one thing that you, you know, you talked about is we talked, we started this off with talking about the truth. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I think, you know, I can speak that I've grappled with will be the fact that there's so the people that I encounter, whether it's on social media like Facebook or in the streets or in conversations that are in absolute denial of that truth because of where they're from, because of their yeah. upbringing, because of their mentality, what they really firmly, deeply believe in to say that these things that we're seeing in the news, you know, aren't true, that certain things aren't happening, that, the, that this is fake news, that the media has a plot against America and a plot against our president. And when you really look at it, my initial impulse is to say that they're racist, is that they're living in a racist, that they're they're just racist. How can we educate people like that? Mm -hmm. It seems like you have the tools. What is their fear of inclusion? Like, what are they fearing? Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, it's change. Inclusion will be a change because America has never truly been inclusive, uh, ever. Uh, I've never experienced it in my lifetime, uh, despite all of the the struggle and the progress made. But, you know, fake news, you know, that's Donald Trump's uh, term, alternative facts, uh, uh, Trump and Kellyanne Conway and and, uh, his other minions. Uh, You know, there is an effort to, uh, I think, overload people with conflicting information and it's difficult to ascertain what's really going on. But I would argue that uh, understanding the truth and facts aside, I don't think information is enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, you know, we all understand that our climate is changing. We all understand, for the most part, Mm -hmm. I think everyone understands that that is occurring. Uh, We're contributing to that. Are we doing what's necessary to stop that? We have the information. We know what's happening. 
Uh, a lot of people understand, you know, racial dynamics, for example. We understand, you know, the disparities that exist in our country. Um, but we can deny that this country is historically and currently oppressive to black and brown people, is racist, is violent. Um, we have all the information. You know, we've had these workshops. We've had these seminars. P- pretty much everyone's kind of been to a diversity talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about social justice. We know what it is. People know what Black Lives Matter is and what it stands for. We've seen uh, so many uh, flashpoints broadcast over the news in terms of unarmed uh, people of color being killed, trans people of color being killed, murdered, um, you know, how can we not have that information? Um, and so, mm-hmm. so it's, I don't think it's just a matter of conflicting information or, you know, this is the Republicans narrative and this is the Democrats narrative. I think we can understand like fully what, what's happening around us and yet still not act. Do you think people just want to live in a bubble? Because I was watching the Chelsea Handler, um, uh, Dear White Privilege, yeah. It's Me. Um, and did you did you see it? I and saw did the you see first those few minutes three? of it. Okay, so she interviewed three yeah. professional white women, and they are in a bubble. They, I get this a lot in my industry. Well, I worked hard, and if I can do it, you should be able to do it too. And I try to explain to them, no, my skin color does play absolutely a part in me booking a role or how they view me. They don't look at you and say, can you be a little more sister? I've had a director say that to me. So, you know, you can't tell me that your skin color doesn't afford you a certain allowance in this country. And so is it because they're just living in this bubble? I think that uh, people feel that uh, because of their life struggles or that they have had to, in their view, work Mm -hmm. hard, that it's all equal. But like you mentioned, their struggles were not due to their skin color. And there's the key difference. Yeah, like they don't understand why we still have HBCUs or why we had them in the first place. You know what I'm like? You you don't understand why we weren't allowed to be educated. So we had to Well, they don't understand why we're taking a knee. Uh, Some folks are taking a knee uh, during the national anthem. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, some people could feel it's a disrespect to our country, a country that has oppressed people. And is continuing to do so, and I'm, I'm my mind is very much uh, in Syria right now with mm-hmm. the Kurdish people who, you know, people are dying because of uh, American leadership and the decisions that are being made, and they're black and brown people. Yeah. And 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 in addition, our military service men and women are also in grave danger as they are mm-hmm. still there. Many of them still there in areas. And the long-term trajectory of what could very well happen to our nation because of ISIS and a resurgence of ISIS in in the world in general, I think, is very, very concerning. Tracy, you brought up some really good points. Um, and I completely, you know, forgot what – there was something really great that was happening in that conversation about privilege and about mm-hmm. – here it is. This is what I want to know. What can we do – to educate people in a way that, you know, the Chelsea Hale and Special really mm-hmm. broke that down. What can we do? 
I, I to know. push and educate those who may not know. I think that you're right. People want to live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. People don't want to own up to the fact that they're being given something that somebody else isn't given that they didn't deserve by just simple grace of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard for some people to reconcile and deal with because everyone, every, every life comes with its own set of challenges and its own issues. And no one wants to acknowledge that someone's had it harder or had to work harder. Mm-hmm. That's tough. What can we do? What can we do to... to mitigate that and help it and make it easier for people in general. I think we need to call out the privilege when it happens. Um, I had a, I had a casting director instructor call me Monday and I was avoiding her phone call all day because I was like, what does she want? What does she want? And she wanted to thank me for calling her out one day in class about her white privilege. She said it took her an entire year to understand what it was that I meant. I sent her videos about uh, Jane Elliott teaching about white privilege and racism in America and all of this. And I just, I, I mean, I left the class. I was I was the only black person there. You I planted a seed yes. and, it, and it grew. And so a year later, she called me and was like, I just want to thank you. I get it now. I thought my struggle was equivalent to what you have to deal with. And she was like, I'm starting to see more. I'm learning more. It, it prompted me to research. So if we call out the privilege... Right when it happens, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying be con- confrontational, but we have to call it out in order for, for other people to see. What do you think? Yeah, Paris, what, what are your thoughts? Well, understanding that, you know, generationally, there are some very, very big differences in terms of uh, uh, viewpoints on social justice mm-hmm. in this country. You know, uh, working with students who tend to be younger people, you know, you do see a big difference in terms of awareness, in terms of activism, in terms mm-hmm. of engagement to create change. And I really think that, you know, given the polarized nature of our politics right now, and I don't, I don't think that racism is a, a political issue, as some people make it, but... Uh, how our two-party system works, it is. When you have one party that's pretty much exclusively white male, um, and our entire president's cabinet pretty much as well, an administration. But I, I think it's generational, and I, I do think that given that polarized nature, there are some folks who just uh, will tune out uh, obvious information that's visible in their faces, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have to have a reason at all, yeah. <laughs> you know. There's there's no imperative for them to change. Uh, it doesn't affect them in their minds, mm-hmm. uh, but it really does. For example, like I was mentioning before, the voting rights. Uh, you know, someone who maybe isn't affected by a voter ID law could say like, hey, you know, I don't care what's happening with the integrity of our elections. But then when uh, President uh, Zelensky... Uh, and Ukraine is asked to influence our election, well, that does affect everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the degrading of our electoral system that was targeted at poor people, at black and brown people, that eventually erodes uh, integrity for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I really try to, like, think about that linked fate where, you know, we kind of universalize how some of these systems... uh, have disproportionately negative outcomes for certain people and how that affects everyone. Like I mentioned earlier, climate change. These are big issues that we all have to work together to solve. We can't, 
you know, uh, be splintered and segmented and think that we're going to come together as a nation, as a, a global force to address these issues to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned climate change a couple of times, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think you made a great point earlier in the, the the show when you said, you know, what are you doing? Like, what are we really doing? We all know it's, we know it's real, despite the fact that our yeah, White House may very well de- deny it. Mm-hmm. We know it's real, but are we doing anything about it? So are, are you guys doing anything about it? I'll say I'm doing nothing. I'm doing absolutely I'm not nothing. driving like, less. I'm not eating less meat. I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not, you know. Recycling. I'm not doing I anything. Recycle. Well, as a corollary, think about like all of the information that we have about uh, social inequality. Mm-hmm. And for the people who we want to act and to change who are doing nothing, who aren't acting, um, you know, we all can make different choices uh, that are better for us or better for our planet, better for everyone. But, you know, what really motivates us to do that? And that's an, that's an answer I don't have. <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, mm-hmm. You also talked about in the, in the podcast, you know, young people, millennials. How long have you worked in a higher ed environment throughout your career? Well, I feel like I've been in, in colleges and universities forever and a day. Um, I finished grad school in 2013, and uh, throughout that entire time, I was working uh, at, at the university. I graduated from Clark University, not in Atlanta, in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. Mm. Um, and my first gig was uh, starting in the fall of 2013, teaching at Mississippi State University, uh, teaching socially responsible leadership, uh, really teaching folks about what it means to lead with integrity. Uh, you know, important lessons that our leaders uh, need today, obviously, because mm-hmm. we see the damage that can be done uh, uh, if there's an absence of integrity with our leadership. But also thinking about organizations and how they affect us daily. You know, are they uh, uh, generating products that are uh, killing our environment uh, that could cause us to have cancer? Mm-hmm. Are they uh, withholding side effects? You know, just all of these critical questions for, you know, there are people making these decisions. Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel more hopeful about our younger generation, our students, as you've interacted with students, our millennials and those who are even younger, do you feel more hopeful for them in regards to being the change or bringing about the change that we're waiting for? I think that, you know, uh, a lot of folks, we're, we're in this woke moment where uh, folks, I think, are more aware again. Some I, places. I just, yeah. Some students are, some people are woke. Are we some fake places woke, woke or are we woke? woke. Right, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, again, what are we doing with the knowledge? What are we doing with the information? And realizing that, you know, economic systems underpin, you know, all of the uh, inequalities that we're discussing and, you know, I think that uh, wealth and accumulation of wealth is uh, a primary focus for a lot of people of any age. And so uh, I think, you know, if people can do well for themselves, they may not think about, uh, you know, the negative outcome down the line. And we live in a capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't mean to sound pessimistic. Uh, but, you know, when we think about the, the economic inequalities that uh, kind of undergird 
the racial dynamics that we see in this country, you know, I don't, I see how those are getting worse. I see how wealth is, you know, leaving uh, certain communities and accumulating uh, with a smaller and smaller fraction mm-hmm. of people uh, who continue to be uh, white. So, um, and, you know, that's not changing. I'm hopeful for uh, gender equality, and I've seen how there's been a cultural shift in this country, you know, with the Me Too movement. Uh, but then again, I believe that, uh, and some, some folks will argue with me with this perhaps, but I think the biggest beneficiary for diversity and inclusion has been women who are white uh, as well with the Me Too movement. And so people of color, uh, even in the progressive movements that are, you know, really shifting the culture, shifting the conversation and the norms, still are leaving uh, people of color behind. Mm -hmm. Even with like Serena Williams being very vocal about, you know, black athletes or female athletes getting um, equal pay or more pay. Um, Then you see Allison Felix get dropped by Nike because she got pregnant and then she comes back 10 months later and becomes the most decorated Olympian and still nothing, you know. So we've got to do better with talking about gender equality and inclusion, especially with my He's educating in general. You know, I was hoping, <laughs> Paris, that you would say that, you know, the younger generation has done a phenomenal job of picking up the banner, that they are more woke or they're more aware, and that what happened this past week at Georgia Southern University in Statesboro, Georgia, was an anomaly and not the norm. Uh, at Georgia Southern University in Statesboro, uh, Latina author Jeannie Capo Crusette uh, came to the school to do some talk around white privilege. Uh, she is the author of a book called Make Your Home Among Strangers. She has traveled and toured all around the United States. The book is being well-received, highly coveted, prized, reviewed, and they staged an entire book burning there on the campus. Oh, the no. students in the talkback session, session had some really pointed and harsh things to say. One quote given to us from The Root states that, I noticed that you made a lot of generalizations about the majority of white people being privileged. What makes you believe that it's okay to come to a college campus like this when we are supposed to be promoting diversity on this campus, which is what we were taught. I don't understand what the purpose of your visit was. And that's just one example of a statement that came through. Of course, Crusette came back and said, I came because I was invited. But this was, to me, a very disappointing uh, scenario where it was a good chance, I, I feel, for education for some students in a state that needs it. And it was completely missed. And so, you know, I I was hoping you would say that wasn't the case, but it seems though you confirmed that this is more the norm around our country as opposed to being the the anomaly. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, when we think about inclusion, uh, you know, I think we uh, will probably define that as, you know, everyone belonging, everyone being welcomed, everyone has a voice, everyone should be heard. Uh, But it has been the case that Uh, This topic of free speech Mm -hmm. has been raised on college campuses in particular as sites of conflict. Uh, When you have uh, speakers who, you know, uh, the younger generation may not feel that they're inclusive. And I actually, 
I think about that and I struggle with it because nothing can really be general to say like, oh, everybody's welcome. Well, are Nazis welcome? Are are people who are who are racist and against inclusion welcome to have a platform and speak? So it's really tricky. Should they be welcome? Right. Well, I mean, it's hard you draw the line between uh, someone who is uh, promoting hate versus someone who has a difference of opinion Mm -hmm. or maybe analyzes something differently from a different perspective. Um, And how can you have that conversation or debate without totally shutting down any dialogue? Well, I, I, I feel like debate is no longer because we're no longer listening. Right. I think the thing is we want to be heard, freedom of speech, hear what I have to say, I but listen. I definitely feel like the younger generation is like, I want to be heard, heard, but I don't want to listen to whatever it is you have to say because it's antiquated. Right. You know, it, that's the old way. This yeah. is the new way. And I think the passing of the torch gets kind of, it, it stops because the generational gap yeah. is there. You know, we are have butting heads on how we can speak and listen and listen, listen to be heard. Right. You know, it just it's, it, yeah. it's confusing for me because I do see a lot of our young people out here speaking, speaking, and they're woke and woke. Doing some great work like Greta. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I also feel like they're missing something as well. The leadership just is not there. Everybody got a voice, but no one has a vision. And so right. that's, I think that's a great point. Everyone has a voice, but no one has a vision. Well, are, are the people who are speaking, are they, are they comprehended by leadership? Because, you know, mm. even Greta, you know, as powerful as her words yes. were and, yes. and her statement and her presence and the impact that that had on all of us, what is she actually empowered to really do? Mm. So, you know, in the field of diversity and inclusion and the work that I have done in my career... Uh, that's really where I step in, not only in terms of like this speaking versus comprehending and listening component uh, where, you know, it's my role to really make it clear what people are saying. What does this feedback mean? You know, whether it's through survey mm-hmm. instruments, whether it's through focus groups or what have you, so that leadership that actually is empowered to you know foster that inclusive environment are able to analyze and understand, to comprehend, because, uh, you know, the data is what bears out, I think, what needs to be changed. And unfortunately, I think that the anecdotal, experiential kind of uh, dialogues only go so far. Uh, They're important for healing, especially, I think, for uh, people who have experienced the pain of uh, being marginalized and being left out. And it's also a learning experience for those who uh, perpetrate uh, those systems. But, uh, you know, we all can walk away and nothing really changes. I know. That's what I was going to say. Do we have to wait until after the conversation to come up with these... Action steps. Yeah. Can we not, in that moment of debate, say, okay, I hear you. Now, how can you and I work together to, to... get an understanding, gain an understanding about whatever the topic is or whatever. Can we do that in that moment? I feel like we need to start calling those things out then. We need to start 
saying something then, resolving it then. Because once I walk away, I'm walking away saying, it ain't never going to change. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking Or you write way. out the person and that person yeah. becomes an idiot yeah. or a moron or a bigot yeah. or a homophobe or something else that you have and you're done engaging in that way. In the way that some students at uh, Georgetown <laughs> Law School last week did to outgoing Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAlleen. Uh, he is uh, was speaking and he was uh, booed specifically about his immigration policies. But we found out, you know, Friday, yesterday, uh, that well, Friday, our last work day, that President Trump was uh, replacing him, had asked him to step down. And so, you know, I was kind of ex- I was kind of proud of the students for taking a stance when he came to speak and they, they booed so much he was not able to do the speech. But now from really Paris, your you know, <laughs> interview, maybe that may not have been the best approach to attempt to garner a different response from him and his supporters. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think everyone kind of knew what he would have to say. And uh, I guess they didn't want to hear it, but I would encourage hatred and lies. I would encourage folks (laughs) to, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that is an opportunity to call things out in that moment. Put him on the spot. Uh, Challenge him. So you would agree with the protest? Well, I think that uh, it could have been a useful dialogue. Okay. And, you know, when we have moments like this, it plays into this narrative that I see increasingly with... uh, Donald Trump's re-election campaign that the left or liberals are an angry mob and they're actually discriminatory because we can't even talk. We can't go out to eat. You know, uh, I remember Maxine Waters had mentioned, you know, get in these people's faces. And so uh, uh, people started doing that with the Trump administration. They'd go out to eat and people would... You know, go. Yeah, and Sarah Suckerby Hander, uh, Sanders and her beautiful smoky <laughs> eyes, you know, was unable to which eat that red rooster. Uh, which, the, which, you know, that eye, that eye that can't open all the way. Uh, you know, they got where well, they were denied service. So, are protesters getting in the way of, of that opportunity for us to have that dialogue? Because if I'm here to give a speech about something and you don't agree and you start a shouting match and all of your protesting friends, shout with you that stops us from ha- being able to have we're dialogue. so how effective is this or we're in the cancel culture now yeah where you know it's it's boycott shut down and in some ways i can understand uh the lack of patience mm-hmm. because you know we have been dealing with these very issues and questions for how many generations yeah. and maybe the, this is a solution um uh, to boycott, to shut down, to cancel. Um, it certainly it certainly erodes the economic underpinning that you spoke about earlier. When we're able to withhold our commerce and hold back our money from supporting things that we don't believe in, that's how we're able to yeah. have an impact. I think yeah. that I, I firmly believe in cancel. But culture I think the cancel culture is not effective because if you call me a monkey, H and M, I'm no longer going to shop at your store, H and M. But I don't think it's effective because most of the time those those. H&M's do not address it. Like we canceled Kanye, but then all he had to do was put out a gospel album and now we his best friend. It's like, 
you know, cancel culture. I'm not his best friend. I'm just saying a lot of people are like, oh, well, he was going through something and he lost his mom. And now compassion comes back. And then he goes to Utah and says that, you know, I'm a Trump supporter. And it's like, what? I don't know. And, and there's there's a huge power dynamic there too because when we talk about you know protesters shutting down a homeland security uh, secretary, you know this is a very powerful man. No one is really silencing uh, the homeland security secretary. Uh, versus, you know, if we talk about people who are marginalized, you know, they don't have a voice to begin with. Yeah. So you know, there's a, there's a lot of we folks need. who right. Okay. There are a lot of folks who are equating. You know, shutting down this person to, you know, preventing other people from speaking who don't have that power. Uh, so, you know, it's very difficult to really address this because of these dynamics of power. We're not on an equal field when we're sitting down having a dialogue or having a conversation. Um, and that's something that we have to realize. And so, you know, for example, the protesters, you know, they probably weren't given space to speak. You know, even if there was a Q&A portion after the secretary spoke, you know, they will be limited in what they could say. Uh, so, you know, it is it's there's a power imbalance to begin with. And if I were designing some of these talks, it would probably be more interactive where perhaps the people who are coming actually could, you know, have more participation. Like first. a Q&A? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and like I said, really the purpose him. is to educate. But sometimes the purpose isn't to educate, it's to give someone a platform for their ideology. And that very well may have been the case. It may have been why we had to protest. Yeah, but the framing is important. So, so. It's, a, it's, it's been a great uh, day, a great Monday, guys. We are going to continue the conversation on tomorrow where we will talk about uh, Shepard Smith from Mississippi uh, along with... Uh, T.I.'s wife, Tanya. So please do tune in and check us out on Tuesday. Have a great rest of the day, guys. See ya. Holla.